You're listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Terry Baum and Carolyn Myers. Hello, I'm Carolyn Myers. And I am Terry Baum. And together we are... The Crackpot Crones. Terry, today our topic is going to be Don't Malign Others. Why don't you introduce how this topic came to us? Well, I, as a Buddhist practitioner, have been studying the Tibetan Lojong slogans. There's 59 of them, these principles. I've been meeting once a week for over a year with three other women to talk about them. This morning, we talked about number 31, which is don't malign others. It's a very obvious thing to refrain from, but an enormous amount of relating with other people is maligning others. I have chosen to focus on this, thinking of it as I will never really make true progress as long as I malign others. In other words, if I stop saying negative things about other people, that has to be the first thing. I can't become really a good, loving person if I'm still doing this thing, putting it out in the world, which is negative. You're not going to change your mental space if you're still doing it in the world. It's much harder to change your mental space, whereas you can actually make the decision, no, I won't say this. I have this wonderful, funny story to tell you, Carolyn, let's say, about somebody we both know and have some difficulties with, and I choose not to tell it. Yeah. That is turning out to be so incredibly difficult for me. I do believe you're right about not doing it, not saying it, not maligning verbally does really affect one's inner self. Maligning others is really easy. Yes. Lots of things we care about seem to rely on that. I mean, politics, trying to talk about the world. To talk about the world without maligning others is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult for us not to malign people who don't get vaccinated. We're not helping anything by maligning them. But we're making ourselves both feel superior to those people, and also we're bonding with each other. That's right. That maligning others is a classic way of feeling, like we're bonding with each other. That's right. And in fact, when you withdraw or you make an objection to maligning someone, sometimes people do drop you or feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) But those have been times when I've really expressed it. I haven't just stopped maligning someone. I've said something about that person in their defense or said, I'm not going to have this conversation. Right. It makes people uncomfortable. Probably I could stop maligning others and people would hardly notice if I didn't announce it. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of maligning, I think I've maligned my mother more than any other one person. And I turned 70 this year. And I decided that for my birthday present to myself, I would no longer malign my mother. And And how has that I haven't been able to do it 100%, but I have been able to do it a lot. And I've been able to be upfront and explanatory with my daughters about it. I did tell them directly Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to do it. So I have also stated it. Do you feel changed in any way? Yes, I feel good. Yeah, I feel like 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my mother died a long time ago. So it's not like, I don't know how it would be if she were alive or if it was even a recent grief. But it's been quite a long time. It's been 20 years. She Mm -hmm. died in 2001. And so I had already worked out a lot of that stuff. But also I feel more relaxed. I do. Wow. And I feel like maybe I still go there in my mind, but it doesn't feel quite like maligning. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Yeah, well, you're not reinforcing it by actually putting it out in the world and delighting others with the story of whatever your mother did that was so terrible or ridiculous. And also, I think it's interesting what you said about Donald. Oh, yes, Donald. Donald Abel, who was a very dear, dear friend of mine, who I always felt really comfortable with. Matthew and I, my husband and I, and Ruth and Donald, another couple, we lived together when our children were really little. We raised our first children together, which is a very deep bond. And I always really loved Donald. He was Ruth's husband and he was Matthew's best friend. So I never felt like I was quite at that level. But Donald and I spent a lot of time together and I always really loved him. And when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he called us and asked us to come over right away. And he said very loving things and individual things to both of us of what Mm -hmm. we meant to him. He'd become a Zen Buddhist, not when we were young, but just fairly recently in his life, maybe five years before he died. And he was just a lovely, wonderful person. And I always felt so safe with him, like I could tell him anything. And then at his memorial service, there were three groups of people, the people from his Zen Buddha Center in Ashland, the people from the Ashland Hospital where he'd worked in medical transcriptions for 35 years, and then his friends, you know, a group of us that were real close. And in every group, people spoke again and again about how they felt so safe with him. And then people started mentioning, Matthew was one of the first people to mention it, that uh, he realized he had never heard Donald say anything negative about anyone. And Donald went through some hard times. He was not a golden child. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he had some particularly hard sufferings. Yes. So it wasn't that there was never any reason for him to not malign others. Mm-hmm. He just didn't do it. And that made a huge impression on me, and I realized that's why I always felt so safe with him, because he never maligned others, so I knew he wouldn't malign he wouldn't me. Malign because there is all, there's got to be at some level Or let's say for me, when I'm with somebody, when they're doing a brilliant, hilarious, wonderful put down of somebody else, there has to be at some level, my brain is registering that this person is dangerous, that they can say these things about somebody who is not present. Although maligning yourself is also a big part of stand-up comedy yes. and stuff. Well, and a big part of storytelling. Yeah. And, and a big part of women's storytelling, especially. Yeah. Well, especially. <laughs> yes, sometimes I find that masochistic. Yeah. I don't think I ever go to the point of masochism myself no. and, <laughs> and mocking myself. No. I no. don't think I do that. But you and I have both made money off of maligning our mothers in our place. Yes. <laughs> they have provided yes. and they have provided much joy and glee to many people yes. and people have bought tickets to see our mothers in right. <laughs> revealed yes. in various ways. When you were talking about your mother, I couldn't help thinking about the mother puppet in uh, Waiting for the Podiatrist. Yeah. 
Is it maligning when you create a character that just says exactly what the person yeah, is? No, no. And she's so beloved, too, by the audience. It isn't like she's hated. She's beloved. She's beloved, but nobody wants her for their mother. No, probably not. <laughs> But many people have said to me that it made them feel like they were recognized in their relationships. Yeah, with yes, that's yeah. right. So a bonding is going on, Yeah, but it's not between me and my mother. I want to talk about different kinds of maligning or are they maligning as a person who's trying to deal with this and change what I do in the world with other people, I do find that there are times it's very clear I want to say something that would be maligning a third person, and I do sometimes choose not to say it. It's very subtle, really, and there's all different kinds of ways of talking about people, and I want to talk about when we lived in Das Institute, this collective, in the 70s, in Isla Vista, which was the college town of UC right, Santa Barbara, right. we had this collective that actually functioned quite well. And it was half theater people and half Marxist sociologists. Yes. And the theater people were perhaps a bit more civilized because we are gregarious people by nature and we're working together all the time. And the Marxist sociologists, they had started the collective but couldn't keep it going because they couldn't get along with each other. Anyhow, there was a lot of strange people yes. in that collective. Yes. And we teased each other. Yeah. We did not pretend that each other was a normal human being. Right, right. <laughs> Right. I think it would have been yeah. extremely stressful yeah. to be, pretend that yeah. everybody was normal. But it seemed to me that the teasing was loving, was not a way of pushing somebody away, but a way of integrating them in the group. So is malign something you do face-to-face -face with somebody, or is maligning something you do about a third person? Oh, yeah. Person? That's a good I'm, question. I'm just, I, well, actually, I'm not sure. Maligning is to a third person. So teasing wouldn't be maligning because you're doing it to the person. But really, a lot of times, teasing is horribly maligning. Oh, yeah. Maligning. another. People really experience tremendous right. pain from being teased. I think I've always been a maligner. <laughs> <laughs> and I do see that it comes from a fragile sense of self yeah. and feeling of the fragility of my position in the world, which is, of course, so much more stable than many others, but still not enough for me. Yeah. You know, so therefore there is a tremendous comfort in putting somebody lower than me. And doing it with another person, it's an incredibly psychologically gratifying thing. I'm both feeling superior to the third person and becoming closer to the person I'm talking to. So I'm getting two things, two emotional gratifications right. out of this. Well, I am sure I've always been a maligner too, but I haven't been thinking about it as directly <laughs> as you recently. So it's, uh, I'm trying to come up with some <laughs> strong examples. A trigger for me is when someone has asked me to do something that I don't want to do, and I'm having a hard time saying no to it. 
I feel that I then malign them. I reach out oh. to other people to get support oh. for saying no to them for not doing this thing. Uh -huh. And in doing that, I tell tales. That's a manipulative use of maligning. Yeah. I can remember doing that. So in other words, you don't feel okay about just saying no. I don't right. want to do this. Right. Instead of just saying, no, I don't want to do this. And why bring anyone else into it? Yeah. I call other people and say, so-and-so called me and she expects me to do this yeah. and this and this. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair expectation? Yeah, that's what I think, too. It's not a fair. She really, you know, and why is she so blind to see? And this must be why she doesn't have any friends. When I can't say no, yes. then I turn to maligning as a manipulation to yeah. get backing. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty unflattering to look at. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's hard as a storyteller to not have mocking other people yeah. as part of your stories. It's hard to talk about what's going on politically. Is there a way to talk about what's going on politically right now when it's not just two different points of view, but two different total realities yeah. going on? And it is really hard not to just feel like those that disagree are nuts or yeah. bad or yeah. stupid or, yeah. you know, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like I That's, am losing that side of thought when it comes to politics that we just disagree. Yeah. I go to a lot of Dharma talks, especially now that everything's on Zoom and a certain number of them about how do you deal with somebody who believes that COVID is a fraud and the election was stolen. And these very sophisticated and wise teachers, it isn't so easy for them to figure it yeah. out either. But one of the things they always say, the slogans have to be used uh, not as a hammer, right. to, as, a, as a very discriminating instrument, not right. as something to knock apart the world or, or, or your life or yourself. Yeah. yeah. So there is that possibility I don't know if I can truly give up maligning. I don't know if I can, but perhaps I can reduce it. And maybe that will have some right. internal effect right. on Well, me. I definitely feel a, a lot of things around conduct in Dharma that maligning others, the more I reduce it, the more easy it is for me to meditate, the more easy it is for me to settle my oh, mind. Oh, really? I've improved over the years, but yeah. not that I'm free of it, but that a huge percentage of my mind yes. was this hamster wheel of relieving all blame for me and putting it out there, all responsibility. So I was spending a lot, a lot, a lot of my mental time doing that. And as I worked with the slogans and various other things, and one of those would certainly be maligning others, it's become easier to calm down. When you have these things that occur over and over and over again, if you can reduce some of them, yeah. it, it does. Um, that is a motivation to try to do it because my mind has never been settled. I've almost never experienced anything in meditation other than being on the hamster wheel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Noticing so, that you're on it. Yeah. No, noticing that you're on the Yeah. Hamster. But right. though even that is a huge advance, as they say. Well, <laughs> mostly I'm not noticing. Oh, yeah. On it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and periodically yeah. I notice it and then I get back yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the real breakthrough for me, I think, in terms of noticing it was after my children were in a very bad car accident. No one was seriously hurt. 
but it was a very dramatic, traumatic accident. Well, just say they they went off a cliff. Their car went off a cliff into a river, and yeah. they ended up underwater in the river. And it got a lot of press, and it was very dramatic. Yes. As it turned out, nobody in the car was hurt. It would have been a completely different story. But as many things in my life, I am blessed with getting just a homeopathic dose of something, and then I can understand things. So I definitely had PTSD from that. And the way it manifested to me was that I was replaying this accident, mm-hmm. with usually with much more dire, gory consequences. But it was the strangest thing. It was like, it was sort of like being in a dream. I would just suddenly notice that I was in it. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being extremely helpful for my Dharma practice, because after I finally got over that, it made it easier for me to notice that I was running this certain cycle. I had had this practice of overcoming the PTSD. It was different than any kind of thoughts I'd ever had before. And so, and it was, I mean, I wasn't even there. It was just would have been terrible for me, but it really made me understand people who go through much worse crises, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to get over it. You don't know you're in it. You're just in it. Yeah. I think my mental habits are like that. I just am in them. Yeah. Well, one thing we talked about in our Lojong group was one of the other women brought it up, sarcasm. And she said the actual root of the word sarcasm actually means ripping the flesh. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I thought... That is a kind of maligning that is really so powerfully destructive almost immediately. That's a kind of maligning you do to someone a lot. Yes, you do. That's a really good You do it to someone, but quite often there's somebody with you're also doing it as a performance for somebody else who's there. In other words, Oh, I see. It's a one upmanship too. Well, I remember when I was a director. Sometimes I had to stop it. I saw how how destructive it was. When I got so frustrated with an actor, I would become sarcastic. I saw it was so incredibly negative in its effect on the actor that I just had to give it up. But it was so deliciously wonderful to describe what they'd just done in this incredibly, wonderfully funny, sarcastic way. But it had such a horrible effect on the person yeah. who received it. Because it, it is almost always done. Sarcasm is right. to the person directly. Right. And it's often done when you're in a position of power That's over right. the other person. And That's I'm sure right. it also helps solidify one's power. So the other people of that of the oh. level of the person you're being sarcastic to hear it and they're more afraid. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Of course, because yeah. you can use that. It is truly yeah. a weapon. And that was really interesting yeah. to hear from Katrina that it actually means ripping the flesh. And you're right, my memory of being sarcastic was when I was in a position of power. Oh yeah. I don't others. think you dare. Here's a time I remember maligning others when I worked at a job 
this was at Harry and David, the pear packing company in Southern <laughs> Oregon, where many of us worked over the holidays. They had a huge holiday business, so they hired lots of people. And so this particular year, I'm on the line in customer service. And so they just started using computers. It was a mess. They had a phone system where you weren't in charge of hanging up and picking up. You just had to take the order. And when it hung up, there was a new person there. So it was very stressful. We had a boss who was struggling. She was struggling to understand the new system. I mean, I'm sure she's younger than I was now, but she seemed very old. She'd been there forever before the computers. None of us were computer savvy, but she was really not computer savvy. And she was mean. She had a mean streak. Many people on the line had eminent masters in something or other or were. So we considered ourselves slumming at these jobs. Yeah. You know? So as soon as she would leave, maligning her and being sarcastic about her was our basic bonding entertainment yeah. experience. I was really a master. That was my, that was a mastery I experience. Bet, I, <laughs> I bet it was, Crony. It was a performance, I bet. I was popular. <laughs> In Buddhism, that boss or supervisor might be called my karmic debtor. That means she is someone I have karma with because I wronged her. You bring your thoughts and feelings about these people you've wronged into your practice. You also might keep their name or a likeness or a memento of them on your altar. You imagine them sitting directly in front of you during practice or teachings. You pray for their well-being and happiness, and eventually you come to feel remorse and take responsibility for how you behaved. I've had many occasions to think back on what her situation actually was. Yeah. I mean, she was there when Harry and David were there. She yeah. had a whole nother relationship to this company that had just completely gotten out of hand. Oh, part of it is understanding the superficial knowledge we have, the incredibly superficial knowledge we have of the person we're maligning. That's right. And that we're putting this energy out into the world that is negative about them. We are. There's no question right. about it. Who knows if it affects their lives. To think of the people who I'm so misjudged. I had a tremendous sense of superiority yes. to them. And uh, this is one, it's not somebody I knew, but it was somebody in the neighborhood. This made a huge impression on me. There was this one man I used to see sometimes walking around the neighborhood, and he kind of looked, you know, they say there's a genetic gene type for mass murderers, really big, hulking guys. He never smiled. I don't know what was going on in his life, but I just thought, this is a weirdo. This is not a person who is doing anything other than taking space in the world. I mean, I didn't obsess on him, but... Certainly, whenever I saw him, I never said hello. And I thought that this was really a threatening, inferior person. Yeah. Both yeah. inferior and threatening. So then, at some point, he dies, and the Noe Valley Voice does a big front-page story about him. He is the person responsible for the F-Line tram. <laughs> San Francisco buys old trams. <laughs> from all over the world, including an incredibly uncomfortable one from Milan. Milan. <laughs> Anyone in San Francisco can finish that sentence. Yeah. It's so cute. It is the most uncomfortable tram, but it, it looks so adorable. 
Anyhow, they have trams from cities all over the world, and they have a track running down Market Street from Embarcadero to the Castro, and it's a wonderful thing for all the tourists, and it's wonderful for San Franciscans, too, and if you're not on the Milan, you're it's a perfectly comfortable experience. Here we are maligning the Milan. Milan, 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 maligning. When you malign the Milan. How low we have sunk, Crony. So this is what my strange, hulking neighbor did. He decided that there should be a line going down Market Street of historic streetcars. And he made that happen. Of course, many, many people made it happen. But he was known as the one whose idea it was, who kept on with this ridiculous project until it became manifest. Someone we owe gratitude to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And when I I saw the photo of this man and I read this story, it really shook me. It shook me to at least a momentary understanding of how little I know about the people around me. And yet I grab on to something negative if I can. Well, I have a story, too, that is directly about Buddhism. So I I went to a retreat, a Buddhist retreat, and it was a retreat on calming the mind. It was practices of settling the mind and then looking at the mind. So it's directly about this. We picked a seat, and that was our seat for the whole time. It's supposed to be better for meditation if you don't change things too much. You try to keep everything as much the same as you can. So there was a woman who I didn't know who was sitting in front of me and sort of one person over. And she was very elegant looking. It seemed as though she was constantly rearranging things to make herself more comfortable. Constantly. It never stopped. So I found myself more and more and more irritated by her until all I was doing in the retreat basically was stopping hating her and thinking how (laughs) terrible she was. And then it got to the point where I saw her looking at me once and I decided maybe she wasn't doing it on purpose to hurt me, but she was disregarding me because I was clearly poorer and fatter and... You know, that she thought I was less than her. Yeah, we were next to the wall. There was no one sitting right next to me, and there was no one sitting next to her. I was by far the closest person Mm. from my point of view. And so I decided that, in fact, if I had been an elegant person or a monk or somebody else, she wouldn't be behaving like this. But she'd sort of looked over and was disregarding me. That basically became all I did. And then at the end, it was a silent retreat, so we hadn't been speaking. We had a big party and a meal together and stuff, and we were talking, and she came over, and she she said, oh, I saw you there. I love your work. I'm a big fan. I was an actor. I'm a big fan. I just love your work. You don't know who I am. She was this lovely, of course, she complimented me, but also she was this lovely, lovely, kind person. And in fact, she said, I made a huge mistake by sitting on the floor. You know, I have these problems. This was when I was young. Now I (laughs) can no longer sit on the floor. And so everything I thought about her fell away in like 10 seconds. But then I had to deal with the fact that I had spent my entire retreat hating her. Not just being annoyed by her constant motion, but building this whole story about how it meant that she was judging me, which clearly... (laughs) 
was one of those mirror times. <laughs> Who's judging you? Yeah. <laughs> the finger, remember the finger you were pointing at somebody else? You've got three fingers pointing yeah, back no, at you. That's good. You that's know? good. Yeah. Oh, boy. There is another whole circular reason yeah. not to malign yes, others. That's right. Because you don't have any idea what is going on with that person and why they are doing what they are doing. Some book I read, some self help book, they were on the the subway in New York. And this man gets on with three little kids. He's just sitting there while these kids are running around screaming. And the man is just sitting there, just completely ignoring them. And these kids are bothering everybody in the subway car. I can't remember where I read this, but it was in a book. This person who was the writer goes up and says, excuse me, but I think you've got to get a handle on your children. This man says, oh, I'm so sorry. You're, you're so right. We just came from the hospital where their mother died, and I just spaced out. So it's like you really don't know what, who somebody is or what their story is at that moment, yeah. and you are wasting your precious Life, time yeah. on this planet inventing an anger and piss yes. and irritation. and Oh, my goodness. And yet you also get enormous satisfaction at that moment. You're thinking, if those were my children... I would be doing so much better with them. My children are not like that. My children would not run around this. You just don't know. We need some cheerful thing to wrap this oh, up with. Okay, yes, we have to cheer ourselves <laughs> But up. I know you say something about treasuring yourself. Is there anything within that that is a nice way to say it? <laughs> I say at the end of meditation, when we all say good morning to each other, I say, please treasure yourself to everybody. Because uh, Dogen, who's the founder of uh, Soto Zen, I read that in his writings. I thought that was very powerful. He's known as this great intellectual philosopher. So that was just like a very simple thing Yeah, that people should treasure themselves. You're right. I think that's really, really perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that we talk about in Buddhism is that we have everything we need right now. And the things you consider good about yourself and the things that you consider bad about yourself are both very valuable things. Yeah, and treat yourself treat yourself as a treasure. You are. Yeah. We all are. We all are the Messiah. That's what I think. Uh -huh. Because I think the world needs us all to be the Messiah. <laughs> yeah. All of us. How can we love each other yeah, and love right, the planet? Right. How can we do that and manifest that as much as we can? A lot of it is hard to figure out right yeah, now. Yeah, it is. All right, our precious audience, treasure yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. You've been listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Terry Baum and Carolyn Myers. <laughs>